Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me today is Dr. Eric Topol. Really glad to have Dr. Eric Topol with me. Uh, we've had the opportunity to chat in the past, but you may know of his work. Uh, certainly, he's involved in a great deal of activities. He's director of Scripps uh, Translational Science Institute. He's the chief academic officer. Uh, he also is involved with Medscape. He's a professor of genomics. I mean, basically, Dr. Topol, I think the thing that's fascinated me about your career over the years is just how involved you are in so many things. You know, as a physician who's out there and those of us in primary care who do this, does diversity, is that one of the things that really excites you? Oh, no question. I, unfortunately, I get bored very easily. So the more different and, and uh, spicy, fun things, the better. Now, when you look at what you're doing, and you've done a lot, um, I mean, I know the first time I, I knew of you was just uh, reading your cardiology text and using it as a reference for my own patients. And years ago, we did an interview, and you were doing that, and you're involved, uh, you know, running departments. What of all the things you have done has been the most exciting? Actually, of all the things, it was writing a book, uh, you know, this Creative Destruction of Medicine book. I never worked so hard on anything, but I was trying to put together the concepts for a whole new medicine, a blueprint uh, uh, for that, and in terms of um, being able to digitize human beings, which is where we're headed now. And when I started getting into that, uh, I started to realize that uh, it was almost like an epiphany how exciting medicine is going to be. And uh, I wish I was back in medical school, but it's really going to move into a whole other uh, era of uh, individualized precision and getting each uh, patient consumer much more actively engaged. So I think we're we're on to something really big. When you think of what you do, we'll talk about the creative destruction of medicine. When you think about what you do with a book like that, in order even to write a book like that, there's so many levels of knowledge you must have. I mean, you took your clinical experience, you took your knowledge, uh, you, you took what you know about genomics and what you know about medicine and how it works. In order to have that overview and kind of that grand scheme, it probably couldn't have been something you could have written in medical school, even if you were there right now, I would think. No, you're absolutely right, Brian. Um, I had to have had this kind of unique and getting back to the diverse experience of having worked a lot in uh, genomics and then uh, also in wireless medicine to appreciate. You know, I used to say to people in our institute, we're working on those two fields, and they say, what are you, crazy? It's such uh, disparate uh, areas. And I said, what do you mean? They're all about getting granular information on each individual. So it was really getting that experience largely over the last uh, seven years or so that, that enabled a, a new perspective. And I think, you know, the old concept that knowledge is never wasted is, is never truer than in your case where, you, where you're taking all this. So when you, when you talk about the creative destruction of medicine, tell me, take us through it as we got a lot of primary care docs out there. They, you know, they're going to war each and every day trying to help their <laughs> patients doing what they can. Right. What, what do you see as changing and how will their worlds change? Well, just as there's unique uh, pressures in, in healthcare today and an economic crisis, uh, probably unparalleled, there's equally extraordinary uh, capabilities now, new tools that we didn't have before to understand at, at the most uh, precise level each individual's biology, anatomy, physiology, you know, what the medical essence of each person. And that is something that really resets, and that's that creative destruction. You know, the, Clay Christensen is, a, is one of the masters of innovation, and he had the term um, disruptive innovation. 
this is kind of disruptive innovation to the fourth power, creative destruction. And that is basically we couldn't do these things before. We couldn't sequence an individual's DNA, whole genome sequence, now in a matter of hours at an affordable cost. We couldn't have wearable sensors uh, like band-aids or wristbands or or you know, all sorts of things that you can wear that they capture all the vital signs and, and virtually any metric that, that one can think of. And we didn't have portable scanners like a high-resolution ultrasound you could carry in your pocket that replaces the stethoscope. So all these things collectively are happening at the same time, and they're all superimposed on this amazing digital infrastructure with extraordinary bandwidth and almost pervasive connectivity and little devices and social networks. So it's just an amazing time, all this stuff converging, and the digital world finally uh, getting into this medical cocoon. You know, it's so funny. I think back the first time I interviewed, probably less than a decade ago, you know, I was in a studio and trying to put on what was really exciting, digital audio tape, and then that would actually have to be FedExed to someone who would get it, and then that person then would take it and they convert it. You get the idea. Now it's you sit here, you can talk, you put it on a computer, you send it out, you, it's transferred through the Internet, and even in the, you know, in the world of broadcasting it's changed, in the world of medicine it's changed. But as somebody who is in there, I'm broadcasting, I'm seeing patients, I still see the same old world. I mean, I still see hospitals going, some good things, you know, they're looking at quality metrics and quality indicators and core measures, but they're also still looking at case mix index and people being hospitalized and trying to bill for this service and that service. It seems to be holding us back. Right, but you can already see your way through to bedless hospitals. Well, why do you need a hospital anymore when you can do all of this by remote monitoring in the safety convenience and lack of expense of one's own home. The only people you'd have in a hospital would be those that are intensive care units or they're there just for a procedure or an operation. Otherwise, no need for a hospital. And why are we doing all these physical office visits when we could today have this done so much more efficiently uh, remotely uh, and, and use having all that data about the person transferred either before the visit or during the visit. Uh, it, it, you know, there's just so many different ways to practice uh, uh, primary care medicine going forward. It's really an exciting uh, transition that we're looking at. Let's say somebody wants to do that. They're thinking, you know what, I'm ready. I'm young enough. I'm at this point in my career. Maybe the kids aren't in college. Whatever the reason, I'm going to take a gamble. I want to do this. I want to do this kind of medicine. Is it possible to do it yet? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's already models around the country. I mean, one of the front-runners has been this fellow, Jay Parkinson, who started up Hello Health. And they rarely, as a practice, uh, start out in New York, see a patient physically. They connect through Skype and FaceTime and, you know, secure video, uh, video or um, uh, text messages to all their patients. And by the way, uh, you know, Cisco Health recently did a big survey of thousands of people. Seventy percent of them uh, prefer virtual visits rather than physical ones. And uh, Virtuel, a company, uh, did a really uh, impressive publication in the journal Health Affairs. 
and they saved on average $88 per patient visit by doing it virtually and uniformly the patients preferred that so this whole idea that you have to be physically in, in face face to face that's not necessarily the case and you probably are well aware of the statistics they're very sobering about the average office visit is 7 minutes and nowadays because of all this meaningful use a lot of that time is typing on a keyboard uh, and uh, the average person uh, in the U.S. waits a little over an hour for that appointment. So we, we have to do better than that. We need a new model, and it's just happening at the right time that we can innovate out of this mess. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. I'm speaking with Dr. Eric Topol. Fascinating conversation. And let's pick up on that. I agree with you. Here I am at my hospital. I'm Chief Medical Information Officer. I know all this stuff. But I myself have learned, you know, we have our ambulatory platform. And I basically go in the other room and type now because I'm realizing I was missing all the nonverbal and even verbal cues because I was too busy typing because I never took a typing course. I'm sitting there hunting and pecking and, you know, not even looking at my patient. And and part of what care is is, for example, seeing a mother with three children and realizing that you're seeing the kids, but mom's depressed. And as a family doc, why are you depressed? Is it issues at home? You know, you end up treating the other person because you're watching across the room. When you're looking at a keyboard and you you miss all that, you know I I would think pretty quickly we can have this whole uh, interaction be voice uh, digitized and then have that go right into uh, the text and EMR and not have to do any typing. That's just crazy stuff. That shouldn't be the case. But you're absolutely right. I mean you want to have uh, whether it's parents, significant others, or whoever else is involved. I mean you you do want to be able to connect with them. The more the uh, depth, the better. So uh, these are all important. The human factor is what the, what we should be concentrating on as physicians, and not all this other you know crazy stuff that gets in the way. Let me ask you a tough question because I don't know your opinion on it, but um, certainly there's a lot of things with meaningful use and going through these things that are important. But it seems a lot of it has been driven thus far as collection of data that really doesn't necessarily give us much back in caring for our patients. In other words, okay, it's great. We know what pool of patients we're doing or what doctors are ordering and getting that data, but we're not really getting to use the evidence the way I I really want us to. Do you find that to be the case? Absolutely. I I couldn't agree more with you on that. And uh, we have to do a much better job on that. I think that will be the case because of the unique access that we have to these tools that zoom in on any individual. And what I wanted to say is, do you think maybe I've heard somebody say it's almost like right now we're at the Model T stage and it, it's going to really move fast and, and we're going to look back at these early days and go, wow, I can't believe we, you know, we were limited. But they believe, and kind of as you do, like five, ten years from now, it could be revolutionary. Well, in part I agree with that, uh, Brian, but you know, medicine doesn't change uh, very quickly. Uh, the medical community overall is, is uh, highly resistant to change especially this drastic one. So unless we get a whole new look here, uh, you know, the average time from when there's a great uh, potential for innovation and when it's actualized is about 17 years historically. I mean, it took 20 years for stethoscopes to be accepted uh, back in 1816. So it hasn't changed over the years. And so unless we get the, the public, the consumer base, demanding this and fully activated, or we somehow get a whole different look among physicians, it's going to take a lot longer than it should. You know, physicians, and I, you probably will agree, and we have a big old physician audience, 
I don't think we're the best group when it comes to change by and large. Most of us are resistant. I don't know if it's because you get a comfort level or you believe you've worked so hard to get to a certain point, but I think other industries have changed much more rapidly. That's right. Uh, the medical community is a history of uh, being uh, perhaps, if not the most, certainly among the most resistant uh, professions to uh, change. And this one is especially difficult because it's coming with a lot of new knowledge, uh, like, for example, uh, genomics, wireless sensors. That wasn't stuff that was taught uh, at this depth uh, and at this level, a modern level in medical school or during training. So you have that. You have reimbursement threats with all these information flowing potentially directly through the smartphone and tablet to the patient rather than the usual route uh, and doctors being the purveyors of all relevant information. That's going to be markedly different in the future. So you've got a bunch of things, you know, with reimbursement challenge, lack of control, change overall, knowledge gaps. It's a tough time to think about this, but it's going to happen. This is all inevitable. It's just a matter of when. You know, I wanted to ask you about that one question, too. It's a debate we have often, you know, when CMIOs get together. You know, it's usually either a debate of whether order sets should be standardized or if information should be sent directly to the patients, not through the physician. And, and people will say, well, they're not ready to handle all this information or they can't make a determination when something might be a little bit off or a radiology report might have been written legally and it probably is a fracture, but they don't want to say it. What about that, the person who more or less helps with the information? Is that necessary or do you think it should just be sent to the patients? I think everything should be sent to the patient. And what's sobering to me is to see uh, very recently uh, a study of um, thousands of physicians and 67% don't want the patients to get their office notes. Well, that's crazy. There's already been a big study called Open Notes about that, I'm sure you're aware, Mm -hmm. and that showed that, in fact, uh, both physicians and patients, this is their choice, this is what they really want, and the centers that conducted that study where the physicians were circumspect to start with, now it's routine practice, um, such as places like Geisinger. So we have to move to this transparency and respect for the patient, respect for the individual, and also offsetting some of that responsibility each individual because they are going to be getting a lot of information through such things as wearable sensors directly to their to their smartphone and that is a shakeup the likes of which we have not seen during our careers one last question i have to ask you and it has to do with workflow and primary care docs who are out there i i talk to a lot of them i work with a lot of them and one of the issues is well you know you you could almost go all day and all night now and not stop and a lot of people are a little type A in the field of medicine, how do you control that? I mean, you could, you could be checking people's labs at 11 o'clock at night online. You, could, you can do a million things. Where do you right. draw the line and how do you control that, it? That's where you embrace the digital world and let algorithms do that. That's where you let everything get processed by, uh, you know, humans are not good at processing data like uh, computers that are set to, and, and, and all the algorithms that are properly validated. And so that's what we want, is to have all this torrent of data for each of the individual patients we're looking after, but only get the distillate, you know, the juice of that, and only get notified if, if there's something that you know, needs uh, immediate action. Otherwise, it's all done in a streamlined uh, and very uh, parsimonious uh, fashion. So that's what we're looking at in the future, is relying much more on that signal processing 
and avoiding all the noise that most uh, of us are uh, often stuck with. Dr. Eric Topol, we've run out of time. I want to thank you for joining and sharing your insights on primary care today. Thanks a lot, Brian. I enjoyed the discussion with you. If you've missed any of this discussion, please visit reachmd.com slash today to download the podcast and learn more on this series. Thank you again for listening. Until next time, I'm Dr. Brian McDonough.